Well, good morning again to you, church family. Thank you for making Rock Hill your home today on this Resurrection Sunday. We're in a series called When Jesus Comes to Town, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. And as you're turning there, can we just say thank you again to the choir and the worship team that led us this morning? Didn't they do a phenomenal job? So good. So good. We're in a multi-year walk through the Gospel of Matthew, and we land in the text here in verses 12 through 17 of chapter 21. So we're just going to be walking through this text together, which may be a non-traditional Resurrection Sunday text, but it's okay. Uh, we'll make it through it together, all right? Now, I heard this term some years ago, and I thought it was one of those backhanded compliments, like when you say to somebody, oh, bless your heart. That's a backhanded compliment. It's not what, not really you mean to bless them, but you just kind of, ah, uh, you know. But it's this term that's just two words, uh, but it's usually in reference to a, a female, and the words are this, uh, she is a mama bear. She's a mama bear. Now, when I first heard this, I immediately thought this is a backhanded compliment, and they're kind of demeaning to females and to women, and, and you know, th- then, then I saw it on sweatshirts. And I saw it on mugs. And once it goes to that realm, it's no longer a backhanded compliment. It's actually being propped up as an encouragement. And so I did what any wise person would do in the 21st century. I went to Google to figure out what does mama bear mean because why do I always say the internet never lies? And so I went to Google. Rabbi Google said to me, mama bear means the first definition at that time was a mama bear is a mom who is cuddly when the child needs cuddling and aggressive against those who try to attack her cubs. So a mama bear is somebody who's tender and welcoming and cuddly. See, that's words men probably wouldn't use. Cuddly. But then when it comes time to engage with the enemies, the mama bear does. So basically, when I read that, I read that as a really good parent. So Uh, You know, welcoming, but then also can take you out if you're not looking. So, Mama Bear. Now, what does that have to do with Resurrection Sunday? I'm really glad you asked. Because in our text today, we have a glimpse of Jesus enacting the Mama Bear. Now, do not go away tweeting that I said Jesus was a mama. He's not. Nor did I say he's a bear. He's not. I'm just saying that this idea of the Mama Bear is something that we actually see employed here in chapter 21 of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus comes, and we might have some ideas about who Jesus is. Jesus is gentle, Jesus is kind, Jesus is welcoming, and he is those things. But in our text today, we actually see a side of Jesus we don't often want to recognize, and that's Jesus becoming angry about what other people are doing inside the temple. See, Jesus today removes the barriers in our life so that we might receive his mercy. Jesus removes the barriers in our life so that we might receive his mercy. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Version. We'll be putting it on the screen for you as I read along. If you're there, will you say words? Verse 12, Jesus went into the temple and threw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. And then 
the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonders that he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they, the scribes and chief priests, were indignant. That means they were angry. And he said to them, and they said to him, do you hear? Do you hear the children and what they're saying? Jesus replied, yes. Have you never read? You have prepared praise from the mouth of infants and nursing babes. And then he left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. Again, friend, Jesus removes the barriers in your life so that you might receive his mercy. Just two points this morning for us. The first one is this. Jesus cares about worship. Jesus cares about worship worship. If you are aware of the context of this situation, Jesus has just walked into or rode on a colt into Jerusalem. He has been, as we celebrated last week, Palm Sunday. People were crying out his name, laying down their their groves, putting down palm branches, welcoming in the triumphal king. But his kingdom was going to look different than what they had thought. So Jesus comes, and there are maybe hundreds of thousands of extra people who have traveled from all over to come to Jerusalem to do what they were all required to do as they were growing up, and that was to celebrate the Passover. Now, why were they celebrating the Passover? The Passover was the pinnacle of the people of Egypt being rescued out of Egypt, the people of Israel being rescued out of Egypt so that they could go into, eventually, the promised land. And here, every year, the people of God would come to the temple and they would make sacrifices to worship God for his rescue. So Jesus does what every other Jew is doing in this moment. He is headed to the temple. Now the temple may be the best and greatest thing Herod the Great ever built. The temple made Jerry World look like a mini world. The temple was the place of all places. It was built with extravagance and it was built really well. But in the temple, only the priests were allowed inside. However, they had three different courts outside of the temple. There was one court, and that court was just for Jewish men. So if you were a Jew and you were a man, you could come into that court. And then they had a second court, and that court was for Jews only, and it was for the men who were Jews, but also the women. There was a court for the men and women, but they had to be a Jew. But then there was a third court, and they called that the court of the Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles was opened up If you were, you guessed it, not a Jew. So if you classified not a Jew, you could come in to that court. And so we understand that when Jesus goes into the temple, he's walked into the court of the Gentiles. Jesus walks in and he immediately sees worship being taken place. And he begins to turn tables over, and he removes the chairs. He turns everything upside down. One gospel says that he actually made a whip and whipped them out of there. Mama Bear came out. 
In fact, one in John chapter 2 verse 17, it says this, that Jesus will say he had zeal for his house and it consumed him. It's not there. There it is. Jesus will, it'll be said that the disciples look at Jesus and it will say, zeal for his house will consume him. Now we know what zeal is. Zeal is great energy or passion for something you're convicted about. When you have a conviction about something and you see it unfold before you, man, you are so enthused and excited and energized and expressive about it. Zeal is great energy focused on whatever you're convicted about. And so here, Jesus has great zeal for his house. It consumes him. Now, we all know what zeal looks like. But many of us don't like to admit that we've experienced zeal. You see, I don't know about you. If Jesus had great zeal for his church, should we not also have zeal for his church? If Jesus had zeal for the name of the Father, should we not also have zeal for his name as well? But many of us will push back and say, well, I just, I don't get really excited about things. Like I'm pretty, I'm an intellectual and I'm fine. You should think about your faith. But at some point, it's going to resonate in you, and you're going to be excited about things that are beyond you. When I thought about this, I, there's this football game, and I, I'll be honest, I, I'm not a fan of either one of these teams. It's this game called the Iron Bowl, Auburn versus Alabama. They're in this game some years ago, and they're tied at the end of the game, almost to the end of the game, and they have an opportunity, Alabama does, to kick a field goal. And if they make this very long field goal, they'll win the game and be the champions of the Iron Bowl. But if they, if they, lose, if they don't kick the field goal, it doesn't go in, they just go into overtime, and so they're going to kick the field goal. But what they didn't realize is that the Auburn players could catch the ball, and they could, if they made it, run all the way to score if given the opportunity. What's so amazing about this moment in this game is, is what the cameraman does. The cameraman doesn't zoom around to the game. The cameraman just watches the response of the band. I want to show you just a 40-second clip of the band. Here it is. 56-yarder. It's got, no, does not have the leg. And Chris Davis takes it in the back of the end zone. He'll run it out to the 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Auburn's going to win the football game. He ran the midfield goal back. He ran it back 109 yards. They're not going to keep him off the field tonight. Holy cow. Auburn wins. Auburn has won the Iron Bowl. Now listen, I'm no Auburn fan, but War Eagle on that moment, all right? <laughs> Grown men, well, I don't get excited in worship. I don't want to be too, I don't want to draw attention. At that moment, when they see the thrill of the, the touchdown beginning to take place, they can't help themselves to leap and jump and hug other men To cry, get on their knees. I mean, even the piccolo players were excited. (laughs) 
zeal for God. Like we, a lot of us in this room have excitement about a lot of things that really aren't eternal. But, but just think on that resurrection day. Hey, Jesus, Jesus rose from the grave. Oh, cool. Uh, is it going to be on the front page of the newspaper? I mean, I got things to do. I'm, I'm in the middle of grocery shopping. No, no, you don't understand. Jesus resurrected. I mean, what kind of passion and excitement should come from us that we realize the King of kings, the Lord of lords, has gone to the cross, died the death that we deserve to die, was buried in a tomb, and then resurrected, and we go, that's nice. Instead, there should be a thrill. This happened. This really took place. Oh, praise the Lord. Just as I am. Yeah, I'm coming, Lord. I surrender all. Yeah, here it is. I'm surrendering all to you, Lord. I need thee. Oh, I need. Oh, yeah, I need thee. You're the only one that I've ever known who's rose from the dead like this. Oh, Jesus, you have my all. Zeal for his church consumes him. What consumes you? There's lots of things that get in the way of worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. There's lots of things that get in the way. And let me just tell you something. Jesus has come to turn the tables over in your heart so that you might worship him in spirit and in truth. See, well, worship is a full, uh, all full of your life. All of your life fully devoted to him. Not for what he has done for you, but because of who he is. So worship isn't just that you have to listen to worship music when you get into your car and just pass a plate to your kids expecting them to pay back of their allowance. No, worship is all of your life being leveraged for his glory, his renown, but ultimately it will be for your good. Zeal, what makes you zealous? What makes you zealous? Jesus cares about worship. Now, what's interesting about this is look at verse 14, uh, verse 13, excuse me. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer. Now, this word prayer is, is not what we often think about. So if Jesus cares about worship, he cares about how we worship. And Jesus is going to remove those barriers. He, he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. Now, this word prayer is not what we think of when we think of prayer as in quiet and, and just kind of mumbling or just kind of silently praying to the Lord. This word for prayer in the original language is actually a a church-wide, outward expressive, verbal acknowledgement to God. It's the sense of that we're all saying this together. We're, we're, we're not chanting, but we're crying out. Is that not what worship through song is? There's a sense that the worship through singing is prayers put to melodies. To where we're crying out to God these things about who God is and what he's done. So Jesus says, my house is to be a place of worship, outward expression, prayer in worship, but you, you've made it a den of thieves. Now any king worth his salt, any king worth his valor is a king who's going to chase after the thieves in their dens and remove them. Why? Jesus wants to remove any barrier in your life that keeps you from receiving his mercy. Jesus comes and he says, I'm here to turn the tables over on all of them. I'm driving them out. Now, what was happening? 
Every, every Jew who, had, who came to the temple had to pay a tax. So you walk through the doors. It's like going into uh, the subway or go, I know we don't have a subway, but going into uh, a, a theme park. You can't cross over that little triangular thing that click, click. You know what I'm talking about? You walk through. And once you walk through, you got to pay the tax. Now, here's what's so crazy about that. A dove inside the, the market was a certain price, and a dove outside the market was a certain price. You ever been to a sporting event, and they won't let you bring food in? And then you go through the click, click, and then they're like, I'm hungry now? And your kids say, I want nachos? And you look at the board thinking, well, I'm doing the calculations. Nachos should be about 63 cents, but here they're $13. You're going, I could buy 18 cans of that organic cheese sauce at Sam's for $13. There's a markup. We understand this concept, but here's what's happening in the temple. They were required to give sacrifices unto the Lord, and it cost five coins outside of the temple and 75 coins inside the temple. It's a 20 times increase. And so Jesus sees all this and says, you're extorting individuals when they're just coming to worship the Lord. The issue was not their attendance. The worship was that they were being, the the issue was that they were being taken advantage of in the midst of worship. And so Jesus says, I'm going to drive all of you guys out. Why? Jesus removes the barriers that keep you from worship. Watch what happens in verse 14. In verse 14, he says, the blind and the lame came to him, where? In the temple, and he healed them. So what happened? The blind and the lame were seen as outsiders. The blind and the lame were seen as offcast. The blind and the lame were seen as not allowed to enter into the temple area. But Jesus says, I'm removing the barriers that have kept you out, and I'm bringing you in. Now you need to hear this, friend. We like to think as other people as the blind and the lame. But friend, if you're a true understander of the goodness and the gospel of Jesus Christ, you understand that you and I were the blind. You and I were the lame. And we were outside. But Jesus says, y'all come now. And he brings us in. But listen, he doesn't keep you as you are. What does he do? He heals them. He says, no longer will you be blind and no longer will you be lame. I'm making you now whole. They kept you out. I'm bringing you in. But when I bring you in, I'm not keeping you the way that you are. The spiritual reality to this is that regardless of your nationality, when the blood of Jesus was spilt, it was spilt for you. And it can be applied to you. And when that happens, you then become healed, not from a physical illness, but from a spiritual illness. And when you're healed of that spiritual illness, you are made whole, and you have new life, and you'll do one of two things. There's always two responses when you encounter the living God. The first response is this. Look what the kids do. And the chief priests and scribes saw the wonders that he did and the children shouting in the temple. What are the children doing? This is what they're shouting. Hosanna to the son of David. This is exactly what they said whenever the triumphal entry was happening. 
Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. The children are leading out. This is why children are welcome inside the church. The children are screaming, Hosanna to the son of David. They're crying out a messianic promise. It comes all the way back to the first verse of the first chapter of the first gospel in the New Testament where Matthew will say about Jesus, the son of David. The children cry out. Their response, when they encounter and see the wonders of Jesus, is to praise the Lord. When you encounter the living God, you will have zeal for the Lord. You will either praise him, and you'll cry out to him, and you'll call upon him, and you'll say, oh, this is the one that we've been waiting for. This is the Jesus who were res- the resurrected Jesus who we're, who we're crying out to. You'll either do that, or you'll do what the chief priests and scribes do. Do you see what they do? They were indignant. They became angry. When you encounter Jesus, you'll either praise him or you'll pout. You'll praise him for what he's done and who he is, or you'll say, really? Really? They're making so much noise. What are they do? Why are they doing this? Why, are they, why, why would you do this? This is not right. You've let the blind and lame in. Why are you doing that? You've run out our, our cash system. How, how are we going to pay for the... The lights to be turned on in the temple. They didn't have electricity. I know. Don't send me an email about it. Why are you doing this? They were indignant. They were angry. They were pouting. Have you ever, have you ever seen a gender reveal? Now, when I was, when we were having kids early on, at the announcements of kids, this was not a thing. At least that we knew of, but it's become a thing. Y'all know the thing I'm talking about. It's okay, I'm not, I'm not crashing or raining on your parade. It's fine that you want to have a gender reveal party. I think it's great. I mean, cut the cake. Oh, it's blue. We're having a baby. Boy, great. You cut it, it's pink. Oh, we're having, wait, why is there a pink and a blue? Oh, we're having twins. Oh, great. Why is there a third cake? Oh, no, right? I mean, this is like the, and I'm fine. I'm fine with gender reveals. I mean, the videos are cute. You know, when they, they blow all the dirt over everybody and it's blue or pink, it's fun. Crop duster happens. I mean, that's fun too. Just kind of, I mean, it's fine. Maybe you save the money. I don't know. But that's, whatever. You're, it's your thing. But you've seen the videos where they're, film, they're filming the kids and they're announcing the, the gender of the baby. You've all seen that. And let's say there's a little boy and he learns you're having a sister, another sister. And what does he do? How dare you? How dare you have another child that is not a boy? What were you thinking, Mom and Dad? Isn't Mom and Dad are sitting there going, we, we really didn't have a choice in this? And then you have the sister who, who's just ecstatic. She's like, yes, somebody else I can torture. This is going to be amazing. Not really. I mean, but when you get news, you'll either praise it or you'll pout about it. The children... I've seen the wonders of the Lord, and they praise him. And then the, the chief priests and the scribes, who should have been ecstatic, they, they pout about it. Look what happens in verse 16. And they, they said to him, this is the chief priests and the scribes, do you hear what these children are saying? And I love this. Jesus, Jesus says, yeah. Yes, I do. Don't you know? Which is really a, a jab, because they should know. 
You have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. Jesus is telling the chief priests and scribes, the Lord has prepared this moment. None of this is going to be taken by surprise. This is the exact moment that I've been planning my whole entire life. I'm removing the barriers that have kept people from receiving his mercy. Jesus shows mercy to those that have been taken advantage of. Jesus shows mercy to those who felt like they're outsiders. Jesus removes the barriers. Friend, let me ask you something. What are the barriers in your life that are keeping you from receiving his mercy? Some of us go, man, you don't know what I've been through. I don't. You don't know the hurt that I have. I don't. You, You don't know what I have had to endure. I don't. But Jesus does. And he saw all of it before time began. And he's been on a rescue mission to save you from yourself. And Jesus says, I have come that you might have life. How can he give life if he's dead? He can only give life if he's alive. And friend, let me just tell you, Jesus went to that cross. He died the death you deserved. He was buried in a tomb. Three days later, he rose again. And he said, I am the life. And I have come that you might have life. And you'll have two responses today. You'll either praise him or you'll pout. You'll praise him or you'll pout. So what's the barrier in your life? Notice in the text that the people themselves can't remove the barrier. Jesus himself removes the barrier. Whatever barrier you have, friend, you can't remove it. Jesus removes it. But you're given a choice. Will I receive him and praise him? Or will I reject him and then pout in the midst of it all? On this Resurrection Sunday, we want to give a chance for you to respond to the goodness of the Lord, we have people who are ready to talk with you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You may be here today and you said, I've never trusted in Christ. I've been living in pout all my life, but I want to change it to be full of praise. And he says, come, I let the outsider in, but I don't keep them there. I heal them and make them whole. Jesus has made a way. But you may be here today and you found yourself more like the chief priests and scribes over your days. And the Lord says, it's time It's time for you to not be indignant, but to be full of zeal. Zeal for the Lord. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll give you a chance to respond. We're going to sing together uh, some songs together, and then we'll, we'll be dismissed. But let me pray. God, we come. And we just thank you so much for the opportunity. Lord, we know that this place is to be a a place of prayer, your house of corporate praising to God, the melodies that you've given us. Lord, we need you. And so, Lord, we're asking that as we now respond to you in song, we would be mindful of your grace towards us and your goodness towards us, and that you would bring those that are far from you to be brought near. Jesus, you modeled this for us in that temple. You brought in the blind and the lame, and then you healed them. You didn't tell them to get their act together, and then they could come in. You brought them near, and then you healed them. And, Lord, today, there's some in this room that need healing. And you alone can provide it. So Lord, we ask that you do that very thing in this place. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.